Let's see if I can get my finger to target the correct button here, and we'll get underway on the midday program here on the Rural Radio Network. Yes, I think Brandon has gone into his absolutely zen posture right now. Yesterday, I was so excited to be here, and my enthusiasm got the better of me. And So that was the topic of conversation for the rest of the afternoon. So I'm focusing inward today, Grasshopper. I see. Well, let's see if we can get him to use his wrist to uh, lift up a boiling hot cauldron. Maybe that'll work. Yeah, no. (laughs) That'll wake him up. No. Speaking of wrists, uh, Susan, how's it going for you? I'm ca- I said I'm castless Susan. They took the cast off, but <laughs> but unfortunately, it sounds like just temporarily, so they can do some more tests on my hand. And oh no, the cast system didn't work for you, though. <laughs> nope, it didn't. But I joking, they put me in a brace that I can't even move. But at least you're not surgery Susan, so that's well, good news. Not yet. Not yet. That's where we're headed. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's not good news. We can't have a thumbless ag director. But she could do markets and information from wherever she's at, so we'd be okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's uh, prove the point right now. What do you have for us? Well, the sun is out. Is it going to warm up? That's the question of climatologist Al Dutcher. That'll come up here at 1219. He'll give us all the dirt or the warmth that everybody is talking about. Coming up at 1245, I'm just moments away, actually, from talking to Governor Pete Ricketts. The Governor's Ag Conference will be quickly approaching, but more importantly, the unicameral is underway. What does all this discussion mean for agriculture, and what is he doing to help uh, pass along that information to Nebraskans? Then, at 117, it is part two. Clay will be bringing in our Farm Town Strong opiate crisis that continues all across rural America. Farm Bureau Farmers Union working together on this issue. All right. We'll look forward to all those stories here on the Midday Program. Brandon Bennett does have the sports in spite of his very mellow kind of attitude right now doing the best i can with what i have and yes tomorrow afternoon the big matchup for the big red they'll be ta- they'll be taking on the purdue boilermakers they haven't had a whole luck a whole lot of luck at purdue but the boilermakers this year are undefeated in the big 10 at 3 and 0 so the huskers are going to need to conjure up all the luck that they can have and we'll also hear from UNK men's head basketball coach Kevin Lofton they lost last night on the road to Southwest Baptist in a game that featured more than 80 free throws by both sides. There were lots of free throws in a game that seemed like it lasted five hours. I was going to (laughs) say, that's one way to run that slowdown offense there, right? All right, Bob Brogan, what do you have in business? Stocks are moving higher, led by technology, and it's the fourth day in a row to start 2018 for the climb. And technology has been pushing or pulling, whichever way you want to look at it. Actually, they're kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been pulling the market uh, for some time now. Also, uh, another thing that we're watching, the U.S. Uh, government is saying that employers added 148,000 jobs in December. And uh, that's a modest gain, but uh, nonetheless a gain. Another uh, factor that uh, that is being focused on by the business world the trade deficit is the biggest since 2012, and unfortunately, shares of Barnes and Noble not doing well right now. A lot of folks like Barnes and Noble, mm-hmm. but uh, there's some technology issues with them that uh, that aren't working in their favor. I wouldn't be surprised if they start charging a cover fee. All right, it's all coming up your way today on midday. 
Ag Weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And, of course, we bring Paul Perkins in to talk about what's going on. And I guess people have been having a little bit of trouble with visibility over the West Central. Is it getting any better? Yeah, it looks like it. Uh, just looking at some webcams towards the North Platte area where the visibilities were down to a quarter of a mile in some cases. The visibilities have greatly improved, uh, at least at the airport. They're indicating about a, a four-mile visibility. But, yeah, we had some dense fog from about... Stockville up to around North Platte, Broken Bow, Thedford, and Brewster, but that continues to dissipate. Temperatures, though, on the chilly side right now in the low and mid-teens in much of central and east Nebraska on into Kansas. But the temperature is much milder on the warmer side of a front over southwest Nebraska on into northwest Kansas. We're up to 42 right now at Goodland and 43 at Yuma, and also it's currently sending at 50 in Burlington, Colorado. Now, we were hoping to get some of that, a little taste of that anyway, on Saturday, but that's kind of been pushed off, hasn't it? Yeah, look, uh, we're going to be more of a transition day as we head towards tomorrow. Looks like uh, Sunday and early next week, uh, things looking pretty good. Currently, we do have that weak front slowly tracking to the west as the cold front today. That's the divider between that much cooler air across the central and east and the much milder air over the southwest and west. Tonight, Looking at another somewhat chilly night thanks to an easterly flow of high pressure that's going to be centered over Iowa and Minnesota. Tomorrow going to be our transition day between the colder air of today and the return of some warmer weather for Sunday into early next week. The real warm-up gets underway from Monday and lasts into Wednesday thanks to a ridge of high pressure moving overhead and taps into some warmer southwest air. Big changes, though, on the way for Wednesday night and Thursday, thanks to the passage of a strong cold front and an area of low pressure. Those two systems will team up to bring another surge of cold air and a chance at some snow. Still some forecast model differences with the strength and track of this storm system. The forecast models, though, in agreement for the potential of accumulating snow Wednesday night into Thursday. It's a system that bears some watching. Right now, most forecast models indicate just light snow accumulations. In our long-term forecast, with that storm system on the plains, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas look to be colder than normal the last half of next week. Temperatures, though, then trend warmer than normal late next weekend through January 18th. So it's a system that won't last long. Nebraska and Kansas forecast to see above normal precipitation the late half of next week. Then that forecast turns drier than normal late next weekend through January 18th. Weather factors in the market include very little rain for Argentina, the continuation of favorable weather in Brazil, and increasing dryness in the southern plains. The soil moisture right now in the southern plains rated at 84% very short to short in Oklahoma, along with 77% very short to short on the soil moisture in Kansas. The southern plains expected to be mostly dry this next week to 10 days. The upside is that temperatures will trend milder and ease the cold weather stress to the wheat. The northern plains will remain cold and maintain the livestock stress for a few more days. It will be warmer early next week before it turns colder by the end of the next week. In central Argentina, periods of very hot and dry weather will increase the crop stress. Scattered rain this last 24 hours only brought limited relief. There is the possibility several million acres of soybeans could go unplanted in central Argentina due to the dryness. It's a very different story, though, in central Brazil, where favorable weather has led to soybean crop projections that would be only second to the record crop year of 2016 to 2017. Southern Brazil crop weather will remain favorable the next 10 days, but 10 days out, a drier forecast bears some watching.
Midday Ag Weather is presented by Holdridge Irrigation, your ranky dealer. And I know that you uh, you don't like to be characterized as a soothsayer or prognosticator, but you're the closest we have, so I'll ask you. All righty. Uh, the middle of next week, what are the chances that this is a, a pretty decent system for bringing Well, right state? now they are indicating just some light snow accumulations, but, you know, it does bear some watching. Still a lot of forecast model uh, discrepancies to work out because a lot of the forecast models in disagreement as to the exact uh, strength and timing of it. It looks like it's going to take a more northerly trek, which would probably yield in just some light snow accumulations in our area. And the warmer weather ahead of this could help in maybe just some of it falling in as liquid precipitation. But we'll know when we know. Uh And uh, this, uh, of course... uh Leads us to the fact that you can keep up on that through the weekend if you would like by getting on your smartphone, our brand new app, or anytime at krvn.com. coming down for the accountant responsible for embezzlement from the Oklahoma Beef Council. Dairy producers looking for immigration reform. U.S. wheat exports gain more global competition. And a bill being proposed to change how land is evaluated for property tax in Nebraska. It's all here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. A former accountant for the Oklahoma Beef Council, Melissa Day Morton, has been ordered to pay $3 million in restitution for embezzlement of nearly $2.7 million from the nonprofit organization. The Oklahoman reports that $2.3 million will go back to the Oklahoma Beef Council and the rest will go to the IRS and insurance companies. Morton, who worked for the Beef Council from 1995 to July 2016, was accused by prosecutors of forging organization checks from 2009 to 2016. Morton has told reporters the money she embezzled was used to fund a children's clothing boutique and to help her family members. The embezzlement case has sparked a debate about the leadership in the organization and even a few spinoff organizations such as the Oklahoma Independent Stock Growers Association have emerged since the embezzlement investigation began. Minimum wage hikes are coming to Washington and California in 2018. California farmers with 26 or more employees will now have to pay $11 an hour, and all Washington businesses will now have to pay $11.50 an hour minimum wage. Yet the pay increase isn't the biggest concern for ag producers in these states, especially the dairy farmers. Instead, their biggest concern is lack of available people to work. The dairy industry worked throughout 2017 to bring forward immigration reform that would work for them because dairy producers don't have access to the H-2A program as dairy employees are not seasonal employees. Tanya Von Slyke is the executive director of the New York Dairy Association who says her state and others that rank high in dairy production need a viable guest worker program in order to find help on their operations. President Trump and Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue have said the immigration reform that works for farmers is a top priority. The U.S. is responsible for 45% or $630 million worth of all wheat products exported to Japan. But according to a new report from the USDA's Foreign Agricultural Service Office, Japan has struck a deal with the European Union that would lower tariffs on a variety of wheat products, including raw wheat, flour, and pasta. The new deal with the EU comes as part of the Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. National Association of Wheat Growers CEO Chandler Gould reacted to the news, saying the United States trade representatives have limited resources and it's time to get past plowing the same old fields and start opening up ground in new markets. 
Finally today, we end on what will hopefully turn into good news for Nebraska landowners. A Nebraska state senator is hopeful to change the way agriculture land is valued through a legislative bill. Bryce Duskett brings us more from the Nebraska state capitol. Senator Steve Erdman from Baird introduced LB602 on Thursday. The senator says the bill would make evaluating agriculture land more fair. To change the way we value ag land from market to income, a long time now we've been using the market approach. It doesn't make sense. Uh, we need to go to an income approach that when corn is $7, you pay more taxes. When corn is $3, you pay less. This is not the first time that the senator proposed the bill. Last year, that, that bill was a combination between me and the governor. The governor had one similar. It came out in the 461 bill that had income tax, property tax, and the, the valuation change. Uh, several of the senators on the floor said that bill was just too encumbersome and they couldn't figure out what it was exactly. But they said that if your bill would have come by itself, the valuation change, they'd have voted for it. So I think I got support there. Reporting in Lincoln, Nebraska at the state capitol, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Thank you, Bryce. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Kaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network, and we're back this week with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. And Al, as we jump into 2018, going from some bitter cold temperatures to what seemed like a heat wave towards the end of the week, what can we expect headed into this weekend and next week? The concern is if we kind of see some warming in eastern Nebraska, although we've seen the warming temperatures in western Nebraska, we've been locked into the cold here for the better part of a 14 to 16 days. And it does appear that we will at least see a little system moving across in the mid, mid layers of the atmosphere through the central Rockies as that big storm on the east coast lifts the trough toward the north. That's going to allow some energy from the west to finally move into the region and give us a slight chance of precipitation. It appears that that wave will probably generate most of the moisture across southeast, southern Nebraska. And it will be fairly light as it doesn't have enough time to really garner a lot of moisture from the Gulf of Mexico to feed into that system. As it passes to the east, of it certainly will start to strengthen and maybe the foundation for yet another pretty classic storm along the eastern seaboard as we get late into the week. After that system passes, it does appear that we're going to be into a few days of above normal temperatures for, for a change before we see another system coming into the western United States. With the trough of the east weekend, that's going to allow additional energy to move into the central Rockies. And as we get into Wednesday night into Thursday, right now the models are indicating, at least from the GFS side, that there is the potential for some significant accumulated snowfall somewhere in the central plains. And right now, the models have been varying anywhere from northern Nebraska to about the northern half of Kansas. The most recent runs place that system essentially over the eastern two-thirds of the state. So... This is our best chance for what I would call good moisture, not moisture coming out of a northerly flow where we get these little Alberta clippers and reinforcing shots of cold air, but they're moisture-starved systems. This one would come more out of the southwest, which would allow warm Gulf moisture into the system and first and really give us a, a, a decent shot of significant moisture. But more importantly, it does appear that for in a temporary couple weeks coming forward, that we're going to see much more energy coming in the western United States as we start to see a ridging pattern develop in the eastern United States and more troughing in the western United States. And the reason why this is important, we have a terrible snowpack right now in the central and southern Rockies. And it's these systems that will provide at least a hope that we can get some decent snowfall accumulations in the central Rocky to make up for the very poor snow year so far. And we're going to need to see more of these. Simply stated, as I've said in the past, 
that central Rocky snowpack is very important for keeping the dryness issues from the southwest from invading the central Rockies as we go into the growing season expanding out into the plains region. So this offers us at least some hope for precipitation. But remember, we've already had a couple surges of Arctic air this season already. More than likely, we will phase back to a very cold pattern as we go toward the end of the month and into early February, and we'll probably rinse and repeat this as we go to the remainder of the growing season. So when we get into these cold stretches, expect more Arctic clippers, very little moisture, a few light snowfall amounts, high, a lot of wind, and then we look for the relaxation of that trough, allowing more moisture coming in from the western United States to give us those really important precipitation events. All right, Al, thanks. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher visiting with us this week about what we can expect headed into this week, next week, and a little longer term. And sounds like we're not quite out of the doghouse yet with some of this cold weather and maybe even some more precipitation headed our way as we get 2018 kicked off here. For more, of course, you can visit ruralradio.com. I'm Shaley Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and the time to check sports with Brandon Bennett. Good afternoon, Dirk. The University of Nebraska Lincoln men's basketball team finishes a two-game road trip tomorrow afternoon when the Huskers travel to West Lafayette, Indiana for a matchup versus the number 13-ranked Purdue Boilermakers. Nebraska is 11-5 overall, 2-1 in the Big Ten, and they bring in a four-game winning streak to West Lafayette following a 70-55 win at Northwestern on Tuesday evening. Glenn Watson Jr. had a game-high 19 points, six rebounds, and six assists to pace the three Huskers, who also scored in double figures during the last game. Watson has been exceptional during this past streak of early Big Ten play. He's averaging 18 points, six rebounds, and three and a third assists per game. The Husker defense will be tested on Saturday facing a Purdue team that's 14-2 and overall, undefeated at 3-0 and in the Big Ten, and an offense that's averaging almost 90 points per game while shooting 51% from the field. The Huskers will be looking for their first ever win at Mackey Arena and the second straight win over Purdue as Nebraska posted an 83-80 win over the Boilermakers during their Big Ten championship season. Tip-off from Mackey Arena is set for 1.15 p.m. tomorrow. Last night, the University of Nebraska Cardi men's basketball team fell on the road to Southwest Baptist by a final score of 92-87. to Head coach Kevin Lofton offers his thoughts on the game. Hats off to them. They made a ton of, of shots they had to make. We talked a lot all week long about the three-point shot. I think they were averaging 46% coming in here per game. They were made 10 maids per game, and at halftime they had five. They were right on the way, and they didn't slow down in the second half. We told our kids they rebounded the ball well offensively, and I think they were averaging 10 old boards per game, and, I, and they had that at half. So, you know, they really uh, it really came to play tonight. I, again, I thought our guys had we had good stretches. We had every opportunity. We missed free throws, uh, missed our share of wide open shots. You look at the shots that they were hitting, we were getting the same shots, and, and we, we couldn't sustain it. Uh, and so, you know, we again, we had opportunities. You just, you just got to make plays down the stretch if you want to win it, and we didn't do that. Coach Lofton also talked about how hard it was to maintain some momentum and some flow during the game. Featured a total of 83 free throws. I want to say almost seven or eight straight possessions. They shot free throws on their end, and it's it was just hard to get a feel for. It, but that's just the way it is. You got to adjust, and when you do get your chance to go to the free throw line, you got to capitalize. The women's team won their game in Bolivar last night by a final score of seventy-six to sixty-seven. They improved to eleven and two on the year. Lamar Jackson announced on Twitter that he'll be leaving the University of Louisville to enter the NFL draft just one season after becoming the youngest ever Heisman Trophy winner. 
The six foot three inch, two hundred and twelve pound junior quarterback tweeted earlier this morning that he talked with his family before announcing the decision, which was confirmed by a Louisville football spokesman. Jackson's decision was somewhat expected after compiling statistics better in some areas than his Heisman winning numbers last year as a sophomore. This year, he finished third in the Heisman voting. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is straight ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. It won't be quite as cold tomorrow in Nebraska with highs around the mid-20s in the east to the mid-40s in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. A suspect in a homicide in northwestern Kansas has been found dead. The Decatur County Sheriff's Office says a body of 29-year-old Efren Mascarenas Jr. was found today. Authorities have been searching for Mascarenas since two people were found dead Thursday near Hill City. The Graham County Sheriff's Office found the people dead after responding to a call of an unresponsive man in a rural part of the county. Authorities have released no other information about the homicide. Mascarenas' connection to the victims or details of how his body was found was not released. Kansas Department of Corrections records show Mascarenas has three prior convictions for aggravated battery and another for interference with law enforcement. He was released from prison in February 2017, and his post-release expired in August. A Nebraska state senator hopes to change the way agricultural land is valued through a legislative bill. Bryce Duskett reports from the Nebraska state capitol. Senator Steve Erdman from Baird introduced LB602 on Thursday. The senator says the bill would make evaluating agriculture land more fair. This is not the first time that the senator proposed the bill. Last year that, that bill was a combination between me and the governor. The governor had one similar. It came out in the 461 bill that had income tax, property tax, and the, the valuation change, uh, several of the senators on the floor said that bill was just too encumbersome and they couldn't figure out what it was exactly. But they said that if your bill would have come by itself, the valuation change, they'd have voted for it. So I think I got support there. Reporting in Lincoln, Nebraska, at the state capitol, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. Federal authorities say ordinary key rings that were missing from chemical storage tanks were a primary reason a chemical cloud spread over Atchison in Kansas in 2016, sending more than 150 people to the hospital. MGPI Processing used metal key rings to secure pipelines at its Atchison plant. Two fill lines at the plant were unknowingly left open because they were missing the rings. A delivery driver mistakenly put sulfuric acid into a nearby full tank, causing the chemical reaction. EPA is touting cleanups finalized at seven of the nation's most polluted places as a signature accomplishment in its effort to reduce the number of Superfund sites. The records show the physical work was completed before the current administration took charge. Our app puts regional, ag, national, and area news just one click away, anytime. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Mark it on your calendar. Governor Pete Ricketts is set to host the 30th annual Governor's Ag Conference, and it is set for March 7th and the 8th. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I caught up with Governor Pete Ricketts as we talked not only about the Governor's Ag Conference, but also had the discussion of the bills that are happening in the unicameral that will affect all Nebraskans. You can expect for us, again, we don't have any details to uh, reveal at this point, but you can expect that we're working on getting some great speakers. 
and that I want everybody to save that date of March 7th and 8th because we are going to work to make sure that this 30th anniversary is really a special occasion and that people will really enjoy coming together, not only to hear our speakers, but be able to exchange ideas about uh, all the different things that are going on in agriculture, share best practices, and really create the networks that help us continue to build our great state. And it seems like a lot of that happens, that water cooler talk, shall we say, within the hallways, that probably gives you guys some good insight as what's happening in rural Nebraska. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I do, of course, is travel the state to talk to producers directly. But the opportunity to have so many producers together really is valuable to be able to talk to them, share their ideas uh, you know, with me, and really get feedback on where we're heading with regard to the administration. When can we expect a, a list of who some of the speakers are and, and for our producers to be able to sign up to attend? Well, we've still got some um, folks that we're asking to attend that we haven't confirmed yet. So as soon as we get those people on board, we'll be getting that information out. And it goes beyond, obviously, the governor's office. Um, you've got all facets of Nebraska government that's involved in this conference. Yeah, we generally try to have some of my other agency heads come who are important for our producers. Uh, we look for uh, speakers to come both nationally and internationally. Um, you know, one of the big deals that we focused on is to open up trade opportunities and market access. You know, for example, uh, earlier this year I went to uh, Canada on a trade mission. I was over in, or I should say last year, uh, and then uh, with the new year I've kind of still got to get back on track. But, uh, yeah, so last year I went to Canada and Japan to help open up markets. Uh, you know, and those opportunities also help us bring in new agribusinesses, but, like uh, agroplastics in Sydney. I was saying it really shows um, the work that's done outside of the borders of Nebraska and how much of an economic impact it has on rural, rural parts of our state. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for example, uh, last year President Trump made it a priority to open up the U.S. beef markets in China. And uh, that I was able to help load the first beef being shipped out of the United States from a Nebraska company to hell over there last June. And, you know, it's again, by focusing on continuing to open up markets, we can create new opportunities for our producers. And this will be a great opportunity for folks who maybe don't know Steve Wellman very well to get to, to meet our new director of agriculture and find out more information about him and what he's going to do for the state. That is correct. Steve Wellman has been a longtime producer from around Syracuse. He raises soybeans. He's got a small cow-calf operation, and he has been involved in agriculture for a long time. He uh, has served in roles with the American Soybean Association, including their uh, president and uh, chairman. And so he has had a lot of exposure to the national issues. And, in fact, I got to see him in action when I was over in Europe for a trade mission back in 2015. Uh, Steve was working with uh, Phil Hogan, who is the EU Commissioner for Agriculture, and was uh, – really great in the meeting talking about the non-tariff trade barriers, uh, being very direct about our concerns, but in a way that was very Nebraska. So uh, I was really impressed with the way Steve handled that meeting, and uh, I know he'll do a great job for all of our producers representing Nebraska agriculture. And again, that comes up, folks, March 7th through the 8th. Stay tuned. We'll have more details on that. Switch gears a little bit, Governor. It is day number three of the unicameral, and already a lot of talk out there about property taxes. Yep, absolutely. Uh, since last session, I've been working very closely with Senator Smith, who's chair of the Revenue Committee, talking to him as well as various groups that are concerned about tax relief and how we achieve that, a uh, variety of our state senators. And you can uh, be certain that we are going to be coming back with a proposal for this year with regard to how we achieve that tax relief for Nebraskans all across the state. 
Uh, certainly, um, we heard a, a lot of feedback over the course of the summer. We're going to incorporate that into our proposal that we bring back for folks as we talk about how we achieve those property tax cuts. Are we starting to see, or does it feel like there's a division going on in the unicameral, you know, the the city senators versus the, the rural senators when it comes to property taxes and importance? Well, certainly one of our challenges is we have to build a broad coalition. Uh, you know, the tax bill was filibustered last year, and we expect that it could be filibustered again this year, which means we need to get to 33 votes. And if you look at just purely rural senators, we probably have 20 or less, which means we don't even have enough to pass a normal bill. So we have to build a broad coalition around uh, a variety of folks. Uh, really needs to, we need to look and see how we can make this a bipartisan issue. So that's part of what Senator Smith and I have been working on is how can we pull all the different groups together to get them to agree on a compromise bill. I think we all have to think about compromise. Not everybody's going to get everything they want, but really we'll pull in uh, a variety of different interests so we can get to that 33 votes. Uh, that means we're going to have to have urban centers on board with that and uh, find parts of the bill that are going to be of interest to them as well as the property tax part. And that's my conversation with Governor Pete Ricketts as we talk about the Governor's Ag Conference that's set for March 7th and 8th in Kearney. And, of course, the topic on everybody's mind, property taxes. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Now let's visit more with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities to talk about the livestock futures trade. And we really tumbled in those cattle futures, Joe. Yes, we did. Uh, open a little lower, uh, uh, and uh, I think we started from a technical uh, standpoint uh, with the reversal that we had yesterday, and a lot of concern that uh, maybe we've seen the highs for uh, uh, for a while, and uh, it just cavalcated into um, uh, what I would call "get me out" type borders. Uh, uh, so. It, uh, it really fell hard and fast, and uh, we ended up with a limit down in the uh, nearby February cattle. The rest of them all triple-digit losses, and goes all the way through uh, into the feeders, where uh, 240 was the the least down, and that was in the uh, January contract. So, not a real uh, pleasant way to finish uh, the week, and uh, but. Uh, haven't heard of any sales whatsoever. The cutouts at noon were just a little bit higher, kind of a light test, and uh, so there wasn't really anything to, to hold the uh, market together, and so uh, I think we went through some pretty good uh, massive li- liquidation during the day. Over in the hogs, uh, a little brighter picture. Uh, cash seemed to be uh, strong, and uh, uh, but we finished mixed in the hogs, and, and I think the real reason there continues to be the fact that we're so premium. We are shrinking that with the index gaining every day, but uh, the futures are just waiting for that uh, index to come up to them. So that's the way we uh, finished uh, a pretty ugly session in the cap. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Radio Network, we jump back in with Will Roger, Director of Policy Communications for the American Farm Bureau Federation to learn more about FarmTownStrong.org and the Rural America Opioid Crisis. I'm Clay Patton. The American Farm Bureau Federation as well as the National Farmers Union creating FarmTownStrong and the website FarmTownStrong.org. Now kind of explain to us how the website's going to work and how it makes uh, this the road to recovery. Really, it's kind of the starting point of that. We talk together 
at NSU and ASBF, we talked to, together about kind of what we knew about our communities. And a few things struck us. that One, there's a real stigma surrounding opioid abuse, opioid addiction, and that because of that stigma and, frankly, just the difficulty of even talking about these issues, it makes it all the harder for people who have problems with opioid addiction to get the help that they need. But people, too, recognize that a whole lot of folks get addicted through no fault of their own. And so we decided to put together this FarmStrong website so that people would begin to have that conversation more, so that whatever stigma there is, that would not get in the way of people getting treatment. You know, the fact is we can, we can talk about how horrible opioid addiction is, but condemning folks for being hooked on this stuff is, is not the right way. And so what we did was we decided to put up a website that would guide folks to getting the treatment that they need. FarmTownStrong.org has sections. You know, call a hotline. You can call. You can go to a federal website to find out where it is that a local hotline exists in your, in your county or your town. There's a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. There's a SAMHSA National Helpline. There's the SAMHSA Disaster Distress Helpline. Basically, what these are about is these are about giving folks counseling, crisis resources a way to get hold of folks locally so that they can get the support that you know they need. Uh, the website talks about various ways of you know being treated, uh, where you can go to get treatment. Uh, we've got, again, national websites that break down uh, access to local treatment, whether it's for behavioral health treatment, it's a combination of medicines and behavioral therapy. Basically, it's a way for people who are in oftentimes far-flung and remote areas to find out where the closest place for treatment is, to find out what they can do to help their loved ones, maybe to help themselves get off the drugs that they become addicted to. You know, every story is different, but we spoke with a number of folks in, in public health, rural health, and one common path to addiction is you'll find a farmer who's been injured. Maybe he has a knee or a, a, a back problem or a shoulder problem. And he thinks, well, i got to get this taken care of, but I've got crops to get in or things to plant. And he puts it off. And too often people will just take pain relievers, take opioids for maybe a year while they're fixing to get that thing fixed down at the hospital and next thing you know they're they're addicted so it's there are a lot of sad stories out there and we just want folks to be able to get to the point that they can get the treatment they need before it's too late that again will roger director of policy communications for the american farm bureau federation you're listening to the rule radio network Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. This week, probably not much different than many other weeks all the way back, according to your charts, from September when it comes to that corn market, right? Yeah, yeah 
corn, I think we could probably just tape a segment here, run it every day for the next three to four months, and it'll probably be the same unless the South American weather story changes. Uh, market's very quiet again uh, for the third straight week. Uh, um, range is less than $0.08, cents. Um, you know, going back really to uh, December 1st when the front month lows were, were now, we're talking about uh, March contract at that point, um, we've, we haven't really seen much change. Um, you know, the wheat market's waking up this week. Uh, that was a good sign. I think corn could, you know, catch a little bit of love here, but just difficult to see anything changing the story. Medium, short or medium term uh, to the upside, much more than, say, 365, 370. We get above that, you're probably going to see quite a bit of selling, especially on the deferred end of the contracts, uh, given that that's worked in the last couple of years. Forecasts in winter wheat country, maybe a little more potential moisture and milder conditions. So I guess winter kill potential made it kind of nervous for traders today. Yeah, and I'm not a real think thought that winter kill is, is what's driving the market anyway. I think it's the hardwood dryness out there, and that's going to stay. You know, maybe a little bit more chance of moisture, but we're, we're not we're not seeing much south, and, and you're kind of seeing that I think in the cattle market as well uh, as folks are moving. Um, cattle off the off the pasture into the feedlots given that there just isn't enough out there to, to really keep them fed for the shorter run so uh, i think that's painting a picture for a, a bullish story down the road we could see the market just continue to grind higher as the dollar sells off and that'll be a story that i think you know could be bullish as the dollar closing on a kind of a near low uh, as far as the wheat goes but um, longer run you know it's about production and until the production cycle would change you know, we're just looking at more kind of sideways to lower as, as uh, the deferred contracts come into the, the cash price here at 350 Well, and look at cash price, or I should say the futures price on Kansas City wheat. Do you expect maybe uh, the next bullish chart objective would be 451 I'd like to think 450. We haven't been up there in a while. I mean, March to get over 440 has, has really been a hurdle. Um, you know, we're starting to see the bullish spread action where Casey's leading the way over Chicago. We'd like that. Um, looking at the deferred contracts and just trying to figure out where guys would maybe even take a shot to sell the July, I think you're looking at 485, 490 is where, you know, might even start to, to pencil a little bit for certain farmers. It's a long year, though. We've got a long way to go. We certainly do. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielzagmarketing.com.